Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is a brand new episode of Bets and Banter. My name is Liam, and I pick fights on this channel each and every week. And this week, of course, we're talking about UFC Sao Paulo. Jailton Jaldino Almeida looks to ascend in the heavyweight division. And to do so, he's got to take on short notice replacement Derek Lewis, the Black Beast, the UFC's heavyweight knockout king. So we've got a great fight on our hands. we got a great card on our hands coming off a week off. So who better to break it down with than our guy, JWB, just win. Rich, how you doing, my man? Yo, what's up, Liam? Yeah, good to be back at it, man. Uh, and like someone's just said in the comments, I'm going to tell you everyone's shit and everyone's on steroids as usual. We would expect nothing less. And so <laughs> without further ado, my man, let's break it down. We got fun matchups. We got Brazilians all over the card. So uh, something's got to give, right? You think some of these um, you know, foreigners are going to have to come through, but a lot of Brazilian talent, a lot of young Brazilian talent being showcased on this card. And a lot of these fighters I've been cashing on in the past. So, uh, you know, it's nice to get back to a card where I've had some good past results on these fighters. But with that being said, let's start with this first one. Kawe Fernandez, no previous results on this guy coming in from the LFA rich. And why did he get the call? Uh, in my opinion, it's because number one, he's Brazilian. Number two, he's got excellent knockout power. Um, and he got a really fun highlight knockout in his last fight, beat somebody with way more experience than him. So that kind of got him that skip the line opportunity with the UFC. Uh, you know, if this was a, a fight in Vegas, maybe he doesn't get the opportunity, but again, it's in Sao Paulo. I think they're trying to round out the card with a lot of Brazilian talent. Now, on the other hand, Mark Diacasey, this is a guy that I'm looking at as, you know, on the fringes of being cut from the UFC. You know, he's definitely got his back up against the wall in this spot. Uh, seven and seven over his UFC run. He's had bouts of consecutive losses. You know, it's happened to him more than once. His wins in the organization, in my opinion, Rich, haven't aged all that well. Uh, and when you look at his last finish, it was over Timu Paklin, somebody who got folded up by an Azaitar brother and, and called it a career. So no disrespect to the guy, but just not showing that finishing quality at the UFC level. That being said, one of the reasons I like to go back and do tape is because sometimes you forget about how these fights go. We watch so many of these fights and I watched back that fight and Mark D. Casey had a lot more success than I remembered against Joel Alvarez. I thought he probably won the first round, certainly a very close round. And I thought that in round two, you know, he's having some success with the takedowns. He's doing a good job defending uh, submission attempts as well. Kind of interesting stuff like flat bellied himself to get the arm free um, in a front headlock situation. It was really innovative defense, but eventually, you know, they clash heads. He gets caught in that front headlock again, unable to escape the second time. So I don't know how much I want to hold that loss against him, but the Michael Johnson loss before that, I think was a little bit more egregious where he kind of just coasted his way to a decision loss. Didn't really offer as much resistance as I'd want to see. So with Kawe Fernandez, the point I've heard a lot this week is that he gassed out against uh, Sardinia on the regional scene. And I think that's fair. You know, I think that's a valid point. But I also think you got to contextualize, right? Takes two years off, comes back. He's whooping the guy's ass. I think everybody would agree to that. He easily wins the first round. It's a clean round for him. And then he gassed out and he stuck in there, right? He was getting beat up in round three badly. A lot of guys would have quit in that spot. Found a way to get to the end. 10-8 round. Okay, he loses that fight 29-27. Or if you wanted to give him a 10-8 in the first round, if you're being very generous, then it's a close enough fight. But either way, he's coming out the wrong end of that one. But you look back, he had a decision in 2016 where I thought that he looked fine. 
You know, he went 15 minutes. He grappled for a lot of that fight. He was on top for good portions of that fight as well. So I don't think Kawe Fernandez is an easy pushover. I'm certainly not anxious to go lay chalk against him when his last fight out, he's a big underdog. He easily cleans the guy up. The guy had way more experience than him. The guy was favored to win. He was in a favorable situation. He got cleaned up very quickly. He's got kicks of the body that are powerful, kicks of the head that are powerful. And I don't think that his ground game is bad. I don't think it's elite. I think he's too willing to settle on his back. We talk about a lot. That's a problem for guys coming into the UFC, where if you don't end up getting the finish, you just give away rounds like that. But Kawe Fernandez, I think, has an interesting armbar series uh, from the overhook that he constantly is looking for. And even in that Sardinia fight, he had a couple decent attempts. He just wasn't able to pull it off because he got too tired. So I think if he is on juice, I think if he has improved his cardio, then he has a good chance to win this fight or at least make it very competitive. Um, so I understand why this line has gotten closer, but I also could see Mark Diacasey grinding his way to another boring decision. I was there in person when he did the number on Slava Borshev uh, and also my, you know, my and the collective crowd's, uh, you know, entertainment value just absolutely sucked it out of the room. So uh, Diacasey has that ability, but for me, uh, I'm not looking to lay the chalk with him. How do you feel, Rich? Yeah, I've done well on uh, Dia Casey lately. Um, I had him in the Borishev and then I faded him against Johnson because Johnson had the wrestling base. Um, and the lines have been crazy this week, isn't it? Like it's fluctuated um, quite a bit. I've seen it at minus 125 at one point. Uh, looking at it now, um, and Dia Casey is minus 185. So it seems like a lot of money's come in on him. Um, I can't trust him. I, ca I can't really understand why people are betting on him. I think people are putting too much stock in the uh, Fernandez-Sardinia fight. Um, obviously, he did gas in that one, but I make allowances for it, man. Um, he almost got the finish in round one. He was dominating. Um, maybe it was a bit of a cardio dump situation. Um, so, yeah, he is dangerous in round one, and that's going to be concerning for Mark. I don't like Mark's recent fights. It seems like he's just doing enough to win, um, kind of weaseling him his way into these like uh, these wins like he did against Borishev. Then he thought he could do it against Johnson. Um, but I think he's going to be apprehensive about going to the ground with Fernandez. I think he's going to try and keep it on the feet. Um, I think that's going to make for a slow pace, which is obviously going to favor Fernandez. And the way people have been talking, man, it seems like the mush on this fight is Fernandez is going to gas and Mark's going to TKO in round two or three. But I can see Fernandez winning the decision, man. Uh, just looked at it as plus 375, nice number. Um, but yeah, the short of it is I won't be betting on Dia Casey. Um, I don't like how he's looked recently in fights. It's in Brazil. Fernandez is on the juice, man. He was in them that early fight with um, Sardinia. They both were. Um, the cardio on um, and the physique on Sardinia was insane. They're from uh, Uno Novar. It's a notorious um, juicing camp, in my opinion. So, yeah, I don't mind uh, Fernandez looking this one, man. Um, take the Brazilian guy. But uh, I, I couldn't lay the chalk on Mark, especially at this number nine, minus 185. It's getting a bit silly. I think you just have to look back at the opponents, Rich. And, like, people are looking and saying, hey, he's done this in the UFC. And I grant that, you know, Mark Casey has a lot of UFC experience, but let's just talk about this recent run of fights where his wins are over Demir Hadzovic and Vyaslav Borishev. What are they offering off their back? This is a Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu black belt who's got two wins by armbar. I don't think he's ever been submitted. So it's like, like where is this huge hole that I, I see everybody talking about? I don't know. Um, he could definitely get controlled. Like that's what Dia Casey does well. Even against Joel Alvarez, good guard, active guard, guy off his back. He was able to control him for portions of that fight. I was impressed by that. But even still, 
I think that Joel Alvarez kind of slows down a little bit as the fight gets extended because he's six foot three and cuts to 155. He's massive. So I think that that was part of what was playing out there. And then when the head clash happened, he was like, all right, sweet, uh, like easy win. But he was having a pretty grinding fight there. But even still, Mark D. Casey was starting to get into bad situations when everything was going well. So that just gives me some concern here. Another long body type um, and just an awkward fight. So I think it's a dogger pass situation. Um, the no way, um, yet, but. Yeah, the way he acted, reacted to that headbutt was a bit concerning as well. It was definitely a headbutt, but that easily could have just been a shot, man. Like, you're supposed to be a fighter, and he kind of just, like, you know, quit on himself, in my opinion. I didn't like it. And imagine that was the first time. I think you give it a pass, right? He gets fouled. Give it a pass. He got club and subbed by Alves. He got club and subbed by, uh, what's his name, uh, Dan Hooker back in the day. Like, shoots from a mile away because he got hit on the feet. And I kind of thought that if you go back and watch the Fazeem fight, he gets hit clean in that fight a few times, and then he just shuts the offense down, coast to the decision. Kind of the same thing against Michael Johnson. So there's just some things that I don't like about DKC's approach. It's not to say he's a bad fighter. Like He's got the results that say he's a 500 guy in the UFC. But I watched Kawe Fernandez, and I think he can win fights in the UFC against Mark Casey and other guys as well. He's got, like, vicious knockout power. A lot of guys can't get a kickoff at punching range, and he can get a kickoff from, like, clinch range, uh, kind of like the Enji Kawani brothers. So, um, you know, if you could give a comparison there, I, I think that that's a, uh, a valid one. And he's a very dangerous head kicker. So if you don't want to get hit to the side in the back of the head, like it looked like Casey was not willing to do in that last fight, then um, – that for me is a big problem, but yeah. shout out to our guy Peppy. I know <laughs> that he was saying on the Blunt podcast this week, levels, in my opinion, DKC easy. Hey, he's got the UFC experience, so we wish you the best of luck, brother. Seems you'll have closing line value as always, but uh, I'll be waiting for the, the peak of the number on Kawe Fernandez to evaluate uh, whether I'm going to take a play or not. But I think that Kawe Fernandez finish only is an interesting market as well. But with that being said, we've spent plenty of time on the first one. Let's move to the second one, where we've got Eduarda Mora taking on Montserrat Canejo Ruiz. And Rich, why don't you start us off with this one? All right, great. Um, yeah, nothing nothing too profane, man. I think Mora wins this one. The short notice for Ruiz isn't good. Um, she's limited in what she can do. We've seen that in her fights. You know, she just does the scarf hold like she did on um, Cheyenne. Holded her down. Um, she has got finishes from that position previously. Um, some submissions. You know, she does just like to pepper with shots, though, and the uh, whole position. But outside of that, she doesn't really do much of anything well. Her stand-up's pretty disgusting. Um, and, yeah, on the Mora side, man, it's all, it's all on the up, in my opinion. She's got a six-inch height and reach advantage. She's from that camp, the same one as Almeida, um, Galpo, Daluta. Um, I think they are all juiced. Um, yeah, I think she will get found out though, Mora. I don't think she's for real. Um, she only started fighting MMA in like 2022 quite recently. She had like seven fights um, that year. Um, I've seen her awful off her back. Um, I, it's just the short notice and all the intangibles on the Ruiz side that I don't like. But I'm definitely going to be fading Mora in the future. But realistically here she's going to get a takedown she's going to get mount and it's going to be either a tko or a submission in my opinion so um yeah pick your poison man which one you want to take um i'd be inclined to say it's going to be the tko purely because we've seen ruiz in her last fight against amora um she was a good jiu-jitsu girl and she had the submissions in man like the arm bar and she just wouldn't tap ruiz so i'd be inclined to say she's not going to give the neck up when Mora's on top and she's going to get grounded out man 
Um, I think it'd probably be round one, um, to be honest. Um, yeah, not thinking about this one too much. Pretty simple to me. Yeah, I did a three-page write-up for this fight, so <laughs> I have something to say here. But, um, you know, I definitely am not going to be breaking any news. I don't think that the line is off here. You know, I, I do think that it's probably close to accurate. Um, it would probably be a little bit more uh, than I would be comfortable laying, right? I don't lay big prices on women's money line favorites in MMA. But when you just talk about how I expect this fight to play out, you know, uh, I think there's a ton of red flags for Montserrat Canejo in this fight. Both these women have a very similar turnaround time, Rich. So like both of them very recently fought. I think it was within three days of each other, right? But how did those results go? If you remember, Mora gets an easy takedown and then beats the tar out of this woman and easily submits her in the first round, cashing multiple tickets for the crew. Now, when you look at how the last fight for Canejo went, it was a brutal three-round beatdown. To your point, she defended a lot of submission attempts. She's never lacked for toughness. But even in the uh, Amanda Lemos fight, she just gets, you know, a drive-by right hand, finishes the fight in the first, you know, what was that, 90 seconds or something? Like, it literally was over as quick as it began. And she wanted to keep fighting there, but the ref was forced to intervene. She's tiny. She's a very, very small fighter. Uh, I don't think that she has upside very much in this matchup. Her primary skill set is as a wrestler, and she's a much smaller fighter here. So I don't think she's going to have wrestling success. I think Mora is the superior wrestler. And then when you get down to the nitty-gritty, she's a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The trains with a better team. I think she's on better sauce. I think she's better prepared for the fight. Uh, Jelton Almeida made a personal appeal to Dana White. He said... Dana, you need to sign my friend Mora. You need to bring her to UFC Brazil. Put her on the same card. Here we are. Uh, and now Mora gets her showcase fight. It's against a girl who probably got the call from the UFC like, hey, listen, you're fired, okay? Or you could take this fight in a month and just, you know, put a couple uh, uh, peas, frozen peas on your uh, swollen face and just get back in there six, you know, uh, six weeks later. It's like, this is not an ideal circumstance for her. Um, Amarine beat the tar out of her. And by the way, we had the KO at plus 1600 in that spot. It's now down to like plus 300 in this spot for Mora. So um, a much less credentialed Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu girl, by the way. But I just think in this spot, what did we see from Mora in her run up to this? She's very aggressive. She looks for takedowns. She gets on top. She's brutal on top, beats people up. Hematoma in the first 90 seconds, the size of a golf ball in the middle of the girl's face. So no wonder she got submitted there. She was getting beat up. Uh, so she was just forced to give it up. I don't think we're going to see that, honestly. Uh, Conejo is tough as an old leather boot. I think she's going to take the beating until it's over. Um, so I think it's probably going to be the TKO, but uh, I think Moore is winning this one and doing it inside the distance. Next up, we've got Angela Hill taking on Denise Gomes. This is the community split of the week on the prelims, I would say, Rich. And I think for good reason. You know, um, I had a couple guys call me this week. Hey, Liam, what do you got on this one? And I told them, like, I got mixed feelings here, you know, because going back and running the tape on this fight, like, who is the more skilled fighter? I think most of us could agree. Angela Hill is a more skilled fighter. But who do I think is going to win this fight? I, I actually think it's a much harder question. We were just talking about last time, Montserrat Conejo um, is coming in off of a brutal TKO. Mackenzie Dern was basically on the verge of TKOing Angela Hill like seven times and just never closed the show there. I think that if she has 10 more seconds at the end of round one, fight's over. That's my opinion. Um, you know, she had that arm bar locked in. Hill was like holding on to the inner thigh and the referee intervenes. But it's like, if, if that gets extended, the fight's over there. Uh, and Dern's had a couple of those like teasers at the end of rounds where she almost gets it, but doesn't get it. And I think that Angela's had more time to recover. 
right? But that was a five round fight. It was a pretty brutal one. And it's still only like a six month turnaround. She's 38 years of age. You know, she got back into a training camp pretty quickly after that. So those are a couple of concerns for me, a couple of red flags on the Angela Hill side. But with that being said, she has a longstanding track record with the UFC. They seem to like her. They've kept her around for a long time. She's 10 and 13 with the organization. So it's not like she's been producing all the time, but she puts on good fights and they can put her in there with just about anybody, rank girls, all this stuff. I think the wins over Godinez and uh, Ducote are fantastic, right? Better wins than Gomes has in the UFC. But you also have to try and project. Like it's it's not about what's the best they've ever done. What's their best work? It's like, what are we going to see on Saturday between this fighter and this fighter? And I'm trying to project that out. For me, Gomes has gotten so much better than the contender series in her UFC run. We haven't seen that much of it, but just in terms of her composure, she's throwing like nine spinning elbows in the first round against Rihanna Amanda. Now, when she throws those shots, I find that she tends to land with pretty good precision. She's not the most accurate striker, but a lot of it's pressuring forward, putting hands on people and making them second guess themselves. And I thought she did a great job against Bruna Brazil, battering her against the clinch. So it wasn't just like out in open space. She beat her up uh, at open space. She hit her with a leg kick that dropped her in like 30 seconds. And I feel like she has real power for WMMA, which is rare. And when you look back, Dana's reaction on Contender Series was kind of telling to me. She wins that decision and she's like, ah, and punching the cage. Carol Hosa, by the way, UFC fighter is her girlfriend. So it, she's got connections to the UFC and she goes out there and in her next couple fights looks way better and looks way more composed. And she wasn't shooting bad takedowns. Like if you go back her fights where she's looked bad, Loma Luke Boonmi, she looked terrible in that fight. She gave up the takedowns like by being too aggressive going for takedowns. She's like picking her up in the air and then falling flat back against the tie girl. But Overall, I didn't think her grappling looked horrible in that fight. You know, I went back and I screenshotted a bunch of sequences where she's nearly finishing a heel hook. She's popping out on her back and going for the choke. And her best round in that fight was round three. You know, and that's against Loma Lubunmi. Her, her best round was round three in a fight she was losing. She was getting, I mean, literally cut to ribbons in the first round by those elbows because her defense is non-existent. But this is the question I have, Rich. It's like, who's the more durable fighter between these two women? right now at this point in their career. I've seen Angela Hill get rocked, wobbled, dropped a million times and recover. Can she reproduce that result again when she's getting hurt by Loopy, when she's getting hurt by Mackenzie Dern multiple times? Like, I, this is the thing that people, I feel like, are not um, acknowledging. It's like, Mackenzie Dern didn't overnight become this, like, world-class striker, but she dropped her in round one after hurting her in round one. So she hurts her in round one. They start to grapple a little bit. They get space. She drops her. Then she tries to submit her. Then in round three, she hits her with a knee. Angela Hill does the chicken dance. Like in round five, the, the commentators are like, why are they not stopping this for a TKO? She's just beating her up from the mount. It was a brutal fight. And I'm just like at 38 years of age, how many more brutal fights do you have left in you when you've had a lot of brutal fights? I mean, she, she's like 15 and 13 as a pro. Most of the time it's not going her way. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, one theory I've always had, Rich, and if you remember when we talked about Macy Barber and Amanda Hebos, I was like, the bookmaker is telling me that the KO line is plus 400 in a women's MMA fight. Like, what, am I supposed to ignore that? Like, they're, they're telling me that she's going to knock her out. Denise Gomes by knockout is plus 310 in this spot. Am I saying that that is a surefire outcome? No, I'm not. But I'm saying the odds makers are really shading that for a women's MMA outcome. Same thing with Mora, really shading it for a women's MMA outcome. It's like, why are they trying to be so protective of this outcome in WMMA? And I think it's because it's very live. The other thing I'll mention, I think that because Dern did not get the submission, 
people will say there's a 0% chance that Gomes wins this fight by submission. I think both ladies are live to win this fight by sub. Gomes is no freaking ace on the match. She'll make mistakes. She'll do crazy things, but she's aggressive as shit. And she'll look for attacks from everywhere, on her back, on top, and in transition. She almost uh, camorred Rayanne Amanda, who's supposed to be a jiu-jitsu girl, several times in a row because every time she would go to take her back, she was ripping that two-on-one grip and trying to finish it. So I think that Denise Gomes is an absolute savage. I'm not laying, um, you know, much against her, but it's a plus money price on Angela Hill. She's the more proven UFC product. So I think you have a compelling case for both ladies, but for me, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards Denise Gomes after tape uh, just because she's the younger fighter. And I think she's got more finishing upside. So uh, that's the way I'm leaning, but it's, it's definitely a competitive fight. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, I, I can understand your cons concerns and the things you're saying. I guess it makes sense, but I'm completely the other way, man. I, I'm on Hill, uh, and I make allowances for a lot of the things you said, um, especially the Mackenzie Dern fight. I think, obviously, Dern would uh, run through Gomes uh, and probably finish her. Obviously, there's, like, levels, and Mackenzie Dern's better than anyone um, Gomes has ever fought. Um, I think it's hard to get a gauge on how well how good she really is, you know, that Yasmin fight, it was a flash KO, didn't really tell us much, it ended in 40 seconds, you can just say she caught Yasmin cold, um, and then prior to that, you know, she beat the Brazil girl, but I put the Brazil girl in the same category as Maria Oliveira, um, you know, she's she's trash in my opinion, and offers nothing, so I'm still, uh, the jury's still out for me on uh, Gomes and how well she is, uh, the Loma fight was uh, a bit back and forth, but we've seen she can be controlled on the mat. The jiu-jitsu didn't really work then. I guess in in this fight, I don't think the KO is live. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think the sub could be. We know that's been a weakness of uh, Angie's in the past. She's been subbed like three or four times in her career, never KO'd. And obviously, there does come a point in the career, you know, when, uh, you know, the KO is going to happen when these durable fighters do start taking the L's and get finished. But I think Hill's safe here. I kind of see this as, Hill versus Ducati or Hill versus Lupe Godinez, you know, when these girls are doing well and then they, um, you know, take a, a step up in competition and face somebody who can pretty much do everything they can do, but better. And uh, I think Hill's that. She can do everything Gomes can do, um, but better. Bar the jiu-jitsu, but this isn't a jiu-jitsu match. It's an MMA match. So, um, you know, Hill could even get a, a, a late finish in this one, in my opinion. Gomes has been finished before regionally. It was time ago. It was a first fight. Um, but yeah, th that's the way I'd break it down. I think this is just going to be another situation like it was with Dakota and Lupe Godinez where Hill's just too experienced. You know, she's been in enemy territory before, wealth of experience. Uh, and I think she's got much better stand up. Um, she went with Lemos, man. I know Lemos was cracking her, but, you know, that didn't put her out. Um, it didn't discourage her in any way either. That was a close fight at the end of it. It arguably could have gone to Hill. So um, she's game as fuck, man. And uh, Gomes is only 23. She is improving. You're right. She was doing stupid shit on Dana White's contender series. Um, she's come a long way um, from a regional tape. But um, I think this is an L time, man. Um, but yeah, she'll get back on the horse. She's half decent. Um, I didn't know she was going out with Rosa, man. That's news to me. Dude, and, and you know the thing is, Rosa's been in her corner the whole way, uh, and she's uh, like vice versa. So she's been around the UFC for a while, like those fight weeks and stuff like that. The thing that yeah. scared me, bro, is she was a plus 300 dog last time, right? I rewatched that fight, dude. She had no doubt. She's sitting there like, 
like Jorge Masvidal before the Ben Askren fight. Like she knew a secret. She's just like, and they're announcing like plus 300 dog, whatever. And then they go over and show Warriggy and she's like all fired up. But this other girl's just sitting there like she had already read yesterday's newspaper. It was brutal, dude. Um, and I do think she's a very confident fighter right now. Coming in off a couple big wins. So um, interesting stuff, man. Great fight on paper. I'm excited to see how this one shakes out. First dissension on the board here. Um, but, you know, Brazil's got to lose somewhere, right? Angela Hill, very experienced. One of the all-time strike leaders in the UFC. So got to give her credit where it's due. Take off the hat to her. Talking about people who've improved. She's one of the most improved UFC fighters ever. Um, her grappling, looking at it last fight compared to her first fights in the UFC, sensational, uh, the improvement she's made. But who's going to get better, Denise Gomes at this point or, or Angela Hill? I think that answer is obvious as well. So should be a good scrap. Next up, Vitor Petrino. We called that first ever career submission last time. Very happy about that. Called it in round three as well. Uh, and he's taking on Modestus Bukowskis, the Baltic gladiator. Feel good story for Modestus was out of the UFC. Got that, bing, uh, you know, kick right through the knee. Uh, horrifying to watch. I won't rewatch that one. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, he, he did a good job getting back on the horse on Cage Warriors, doing all the rehab and stuff. I followed him on Instagram. It was a grueling process. You know, he dealt with a lot there. So the hat's off to him. He's a tough guy. He really wants to be a fighter. But this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, I feel like. You know, he got a couple wins back under his belt. I feel like it was against some of the lower-end guys in the division. You know, I thought he was live to beat Zach Pauga, uh, and Zach Pauga has been exploitable, you know. Uh, Tyson Pedro, I think he was coming off a long layoff coming into that fight, gassed out significantly, and I believe he won the first round there uh, as well, if my memory serves. So um, Modestus has kind of had up-and-down results, but he's been finishable at times in the UFC. You know, Jimmy Crute, Hasn't always had that much success. He's had up and down results. I think he's taken some time away uh, to heal up his face from just getting, you know, beat up a couple times. And, uh, you know, when you look at that, that was not a good result for Modestus, right? Um, and I do think that a guy like Petrino presents some challenges for him. You know, he's a very physical athlete. He's a big, strong guy. He's got power. And I think, you know, I expected Turkali to out grappling, Rich. And I found out there that it just does not matter uh, if you're a better grappler than him. He's too strong. You know, Turkali was the better grappler. I think that was evident in the fight. He was the better wrestler. That's evident in the fight. And none of it mattered because this athleticism uh, from Petrino is a game changer and an equalizer. So uh, I do think Petrino's a good fighter, man. Uh, I think he's a tricky guy. I didn't think his last fight was his best showing ever. Uh, I do think he's susceptible, right? We saw Hadolfo Bolato on Contender Series drop him. But he's also a guy that showed good recoverability there. And his aggression has never been a problem. Uh, so I feel like Vitor Petrino here uh, is probably the side. And I think that if Modestus tries to engage really aggressive, he's probably getting knocked out. Um, I think if not, then it could just be a, a Petrino decision. But I could just see him out muscling him in the clinch, moving him around, holding on to him, getting takedowns. Um, so give me Vitor Petrino here to get the win. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, we agree, man. I like Petrino in this spot. Um, I do think Bukaukis is live. He could get a counter. Um, TKO. Um, Petrino is a bit overly aggressive. I don't think Petrino will have any grappling success in this one. Uh, the way I see it going down is I think Modestus is going to try and avoid the fight. He's going to skirt on the outside, use his footwork and movement and try and um, pot shot Petrino with counters as he comes in. Um, hence why I said he's live for a counter KO. Um, like you said, we have seen Petrino drop before by Bellato, who in his last performance on Dana White contender series, when he won, really impressed me. Um, and we get to see him in the UFC soon. 
I'm not sure who he's booked against, but um, I seen that on Twitter the other day, so that that'd be fun. But yeah, you pretty much said it all, man. The the Turkali fight, um, the reversals on the ground, um, that was pretty impressive or unimpressive from Turkali. Um, you know, it's the same shit, rinse and repeat. And um, but he was able to do it, Petrino. But yeah. Not much to say, Petrino. Maybe he gets a, a KO, uh, but it could be a decision. So if you're going to play the KO prop, um, just be wary of that. Um, I guess if you like him, maybe put him in a parlay or something. I haven't really checked the numbers since. Minus There's been two. some love coming in on Modestus, so I would probably yeah. be interested if it drops below 2-1. to one. But barring that, I, I might just lay off this fight because I don't have the most bullish read on the props, and it's not like it was last time. Last time, Petrino sub 11-1. to one. Now it's like plus 450 against a better grappler. Like, no, thank you. Um, but I do think that there could be some uh, props to look to exploit. I'm, I'm going to wait for domestics to open the round props, for example. Uh, but I think Petrino certainly live for a finish in the early going, but he might slow it down and manage the pace a little bit. I think he was content to just ride out that decision, and then his coaches got on him to get the finish, and he's like, okay, I guess I'll easily outgrapple this guy, uh, and just decided to turn it on in round three. So, um for me, Petrino, it's just a matter of how he wants to deal with this fight. I don't know exactly what to expect from him, but I think he gets the win. Daniel yeah, Marco. Oh, no. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to say, Modestus wasn't that much good when he was in the UFC before. Um, you know, he was 3-1. and one. The one fight that he did win, um, it was very, like, contentious. Andreas, it was the one where the someone else... The, the guy fell out of the cage. It was completely ridiculous. They opened the door behind him when he's, like, sitting against it. He falls out, and they're like, TKO. It's like they moved the surface from where I was standing. Like, what? Yeah, it was wild from the referee, really. Just his uh, whole take on that. It was obvious what happened, but yeah, he calls it a TKO victory. Um, so yeah, he could have arguably uh, lost four in a row in the UFC. And then when he came back to the UFC, he fought Porga and Pedro. And Pedro said he was compromised going into that fight. I kind of believe him. Um, he's never really looked that shit after a round. And um yeah, Porga was just a flat performance, to be honest, and he's pretty one-dimensional. So you can kind of rip um, Modestus's last two wins a little bit too. Um, the other thing is, Rich, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but most Modestus fights, he's losing and then suddenly wins. And, like, again, that's possible here, but I don't know. I don't see him managing a fight against Petrino very well. So it's like, unless he's going to clip him, like some people mentioned, or, like, what, is he just going to like surprise him in round three or something? That's kind of how he beats people is like staying in there, being a dog. And then, Oh, you started to get tired. Like here I come. I just don't see Petrino as that guy. I've expected it to happen before. And then again, he just outlasted Turkali by being the more physical specimen. Yeah. And for as big as he is, he's got good um, cardio Petrino. You'd expect him to get tired, but um, he seems to have very um, suspect cardio. Uh, Instead of a doctor, he's got a whole team of scientists, dude. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think the difference between the guys Modestus has been fighting, he carries the power, man. And uh, Modestus, when he backs up, he kind of leaves his chin in the air a little bit. I don't like his defense, man. So I, I'd be inclined to say he's probably going to get clipped at some point. Yeah, and the last thing I'll mention here as we move to this next fight is just that our guy Vitor Petrino uh, from CM System, you know, and he's not the only one on this fight card. So a couple guys from his team being represented. So always better to roll with a crew than to roll alone. So Vitor Petrino and the CM system boys will be in the building. But next up, we've got the Peruvian Daniel Marcos taking on Victor Stryker Hugo. And this is an exciting fight. Bantamweight scrap. Victor Hugo fought on week nine of the contender series. 
he's back. So that was one of the quickest turnarounds you'll see um, in, in terms of contender series to the UFC. And I think it's because he's a Brazilian. They had a Brazilian drop out of this, or excuse me, they had a, you know, an opponent drop out of this matchup. So looking for somebody to fight Marcos on short notice, Victor, you know, didn't take much damage in his last fight. It was basically a grappling affair. His opponent, who's a kickboxer, went out there and wrestled him in the early going. And then Victor was able to submit him uh, by round number two. So fun fight there, but now completely different matchup. You know, we've got a 21-fight win streak here for Daniel Marcos on the one side. Granted, it was by the skin of his teeth right last time out. Hangs on with that split decision over Davey Grant. And on the other side, Victor Hugo, according to Tapology, on a 13-fight win streak. So somebody's streak has got to go here, Rich. Why don't you start us off, my man? Oh, shit. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't very impressed by Hugo. Um, I was in his Dana White Contender Series fight. You know, kudos to him. He got the submission. But when I did, went and did the uh, the research and I went and watched uh, the regionals, I wasn't impressed, man. Um, he's got a shitload of fights, but the opposition are, are very bad. The couple of fights I did watch, he was looking for takedowns um, and he's happy to just stall on top. Yeah, he's good in scrambles and he goes for these leg locks. But, um, you know, if you offer nothing off your back, he's happy to stall out, man, and just uh, win a decision. I didn't like his hands. Um, they get low after a round. Um, you know, he's going to be very susceptible to, to getting clipped in round two or three, um, especially with a guy like Marcos, who has good... Good everything, man. Good takedown defense, um, good cardio, volume, pressure. Um, you know, I really like his style. He mixes in with the kicks, the body shots. Uh, and I just think that spells trouble for Hugo in this fight. If Hugo doesn't get an early finish, I do worry for him, especially with the short notice. I don't think that's going to bode well for him. Um, so, yeah, I'm on Marcos here. I don't like the look. I like the looks for round two, three KO. Um, I don't think he's going to try and take it to the ground. It's going to be all defense. My only worry would be playing Marcos um, is I do think Hugo is live to win round one. You know, he's strong. I think he cuts a bit of weight. Um, I think he may get his takedowns, but I don't see him getting a submission in this fight. But I can see him uh, laying on Marcos for um, half a round, something like that, and winning round one. So it's a good live betting opportunity, in my opinion. Or if you're going to bet it pre-fight, uh, maybe take the KO on the Marcos side. Um, but yeah, that's about it, man. Shout out to the Jewish better here spreading fake news with uh, $2 donos. So shout out to him. Liam's going 50 units on Hugo. That's not the case. Um, but if I was pressed to make a money line bet in this fight, I would be leaning towards the Victor Hugo side personally. And listen, uh, Daniel Marcos is not a bad fighter, right? Nothing bad to say about the guy. Um, seems to be getting better every time out, right? He's putting in a lot of work. I think he even moved part of his operation to the United States to get better. Um, I'd have to go back and check, but I think he was working with the Institute of Human Performance um, in, in Florida. So um, overall, like there's not really bad things I could say about Marcos uh, and his run in the UFC, but let's talk about it specifically, right? Uh, Daniel Marcos, his last time out, like I mentioned, split decision over Davey Grant. Davey Grant is kind of a guy that's going to go to split decision when it goes to the cards. Why? He invites getting hit. He's not afraid of that. He doesn't defend strikes. Uh, most of the time, Davey's just coming forward, swinging with his hands at his hips, uh, straight arm English bangers, as I like to say. And I like that about him, but it also leads to these close decisions. Yanez, I think, was a split decision as well that I thought could have even went Davey's way. But you look at how he strikes, it's just like very close, very back and forth. And I thought that Marcos was expected to land a lot more there. People were thinking he's just going to go off on Davy Grant. Ends up being really close, really nip-tuck decision. Simon Oliveira, 
Victor Hugo right now at evens against Simon Oliveira. I'm betting a lot of money on that. I think he beats the tar out of that guy. Personal opinion. Um, I don't think it'd be very close. So that's how I feel. Brandon Lewis, not a UFC level guy in my view, you know, probably an undersized guy. So who are these wins over? Uh, Roy Giuseppe, um, five and four. Gaston Manzur, 10 and five. Nobody's, you know, like they're just guys that you've never heard of, right? So when I look at both sides here, both of these guys have a lot of experience. They got a lot of wins. They got a lot of impressive stuff. But I think of, you know, the, the angle for Marcos here being the cardio, right? And the ABC say always bet on cardio. So if this is minus 110 either way. I got to lean with a guy like Marcos here, even though I'm a big Victor Hugo fan, because we have seen him slow down a little bit, but he hasn't been finished since 2014. He's a guy that seems extremely confident. You know, you listen to how Michael Bisping talks about him on Contender Series. He's like, this guy's like Conor McGregor. If he could talk half as good as he could fight, he's going to be a world champion, right? And when I'm looking at him personally, I'm seeing a guy who is Dana White's like bread and butter. Goes out there, looks for the knockout. If he can't get that, he looks for the submission, and he's killer be killed type of style. Daniel Marcos last time out kind of shuts it down, does anything for the win. Nothing wrong with that, but I think that's going to lead to harder matchmaking. I think that's going to lead them to give him a tougher road up. So Peruvian MMA is on the rise. Marcos has done a great job and I don't see anything wrong with his game, but I also didn't see anything that made me think he's just going to blow this guy out. And especially to your point in the first round, it's like the first round, I would be surprised if he blows him out of the water. I think Victor Hugo in the first round is a dangerous striker. Sometimes he gets a little too wild with the kicks, right? His corner last time out after round one, and contender series, you know, can bring weird things out of people, but they're like, listen, stop being an animal. Stop being a savage. I want you to be technical right now. And then he went out there and just secured an easy leg lock and made it look clinical, right? I was very impressed by that leg lock series. And I also looked at his past leg locking series. He's excellent, right? He's got very fundamental leg locking technique. On, on top of that, he's not a bad grappler in transition. He was able to create sweeps and scenarios like that in his last fight. So. I just look at him as a guy who's got skills in all positions. And here's the other thing, Rich. He's fought as high as 165 pounds before. If you've seen that fight, he sends a guy who's way bigger than him to the land of wind and ghosts with a massive right hand. He's got real power in both of his hands and in his kicks as far as I'm concerned. So I think Victor Hugo is a very live underdog at over 2-1. to one. Um, So I think it's a great fight. But I just I'm not counting out Victor Hugo in any fight. And he's very active right now. And he's on a very long win streak. And it's uncommon to see those kind of guys priced like this. And I think the reason being he's on short notice. You know, there's some things working against him. But is he out of shape? I don't know. He's just on the contender series. I think the reason he looked tired in round two is because he was fighting like an asshole in round one. And I think his corner told him that stop throwing with all your power and go out there and be technical. And I think when he fights technical, he can be. So for me, uh, give me. The underdog here. Give me Victor Hugo. I'm going to take him outright. Um, and I could look like a fool, but somebody's win streak's got to go. And I think that this guy, Victor Hugo, is the real deal. So give me Victor Stryker to get another one. Next up, my brother, we've got Elizy Zaleski Dos Santos taking on Rinat Fakradinov. And this is another CM system fighter, my man. Fun stuff taking on Rinat. Uh, I think him and Abus are rolling in squad deep uh, this time out. So, you know, Definitely some team chemistry and things like that. But um, I'm interested to hear your breakdown of this fight first, my brother. Yeah, sorry. I was just looking at Hugo KO. Um, fucking 1,400. That's a bit wild. That's what I'm saying, Rich. When the guy can literally <laughs> knock you out with a punch or a kick or a flying knee, he's a very dynamic fighter. 
Yeah, I don't like him as like a, a minute winner or anything like that. And I am suspect of his um, his um, his striking, but he does throw everything into every punch. Um, he kind of reminds me of a Dagerson uh, Figueredo when he throws, like he throws everything into it, and it's like these wild like pot shots, uppercuts. You don't know what the fuck he's gonna throw. So that's a bit wild to me, man. Um, and after my own heart, Victor Hugo. <laughs> But yeah, let's move on because I got something to say about this Renat um, guy, man. Go ahead, so, please. Yeah, I don't like Renat. Um, I don't think he's going to win this fight. I think he's very one-dimensional. Um, I watched all his tape, man. So it's all blastables, uh, no single legs. I'm not really impressed with his uh, his wrestling. Um, I'm going to rip his competition apart, man. So he fought Brian Battle. That was Brian Battle making his transition to 170. Yeah, he did it with Sato prior to that fight, but that fight lasted all of like 40 seconds. So, um, you know, the weight cut wasn't, uh, it wasn't an Would issue. Would you believe me if I said I bet 0.2 units on Takashi Sato plus 205, but continue. Yeah, let's not talk about that, bro. <laughs> um, then, yeah, then he fought. Um, so, yeah, so then Brian Battle, 170, he makes his second attempt attempt at it and fights Renat. It was a bad stylistic matchup. We've seen Brian Battle, um, his takedown defense isn't the best. Um, he tries to use jiu-jitsu to try and defend takedowns, which isn't always the best, you know, dropping to your back on guillotines. So I thought that was a favorable matchup for Renat. Um, I even bet him in that one because it was Brian's, um, you know, attempt to make 170. Obviously, we've seen with Brian now, he's comfortable making 170 and he's flying in the division. And then he fights Kevin Lee. Um, I bet Kevin Lee. We won't talk about that either. But in hindsight, we go look back at it. You know, I think it's pretty obvious now we can say Kevin Lee, he was coming in there maybe with injuries. You know, we come in with the double knee braces. As soon as I seen that, I was like, fuck, my bet's, my bet's fucked, man. But it was mainly because, obviously, Kevin Lee, he can wrestle. Uh, and that's what I'm looking for. When I'm looking to fade Renat, obviously you want someone who can negate the takedowns. Uh, Zaleski can do that. So he is three and one in Brazil, Zaleski, um, obviously a hometown guy. And what's interesting to note is on the Renat side, all three of his fights in the UFC have been at the apex. Um, this is the first time that he's out of um, Las Vegas and obviously they're sending him down to Brazil. I'm curious why they didn't put him on the Dubai card um last week that would have made a bit more sense um given where he's where he comes from but i think he's very basic he's got a stiff jab he's got a one two um very basic on the feet he's got a couple of chokes if you try and take him down yourself um he tries to wrap up the guillotine uh to defend but obviously zaleski's got not going to do that it's pretty binary this fight zaleski's going to try and negate the takedowns and light him up on the feet um zaleski's the much better striker He's, uh, he's pretty durable. Um, I was worried in his last fight against the Mega Made Up guy. He was coming back from injuries, but, you know, it didn't look like he missed a beat. It still looked like he was on the supplements, um, has, as he has been throughout the entire um, entirety of his career. Um, yeah, last time he got finished was 2013. Um, the list goes on, man. I guess you can say cardio might be an issue. Obviously, Renat's uh, from ATT. He's got that ATT cardio. Um, he's going to be fine for three rounds. But if he doesn't get his takedown, man, I think it's going to be worrisome for uh, the Renat backers. We've seen in his debut against Andreas um, when they fought. 
In my opinion, Andreas arguably won round one. He was reversing positions. He got took down a couple of times, but he got back up. He even took uh, Renat's back in round one, um, but he just didn't have the minerals to pull anything off. Zaleski is a black belt himself. Um, if he's smart, he'll look for guillotines. Go watch the Brian Battle fight. Um, you know, he was putting up uh, triangles, arm bars, guillotines, and, uh, you know, any other given day, man, they could have been close. So I'm not ruling out like a Zaleski finish, uh, maybe even a submission, but yeah, I'm all on the Zaleski side. I'm not, uh, I'm not liking Renat. It's not like this guy's a prospect. He is 32 years old himself. Um, and yeah, I don't think his ceiling's high, man. I think he's very one dimensional. Interesting. So I definitely think higher of Renat than you do, but I also think that Zaleski is a beast. You know, uh, I, I was saying earlier this week, I had to correct somebody on Twitter who was saying like, yeah, but like Zaleski's a bomb or something. And I, I just quote tweeted, I was like, do more research. Don't be a robot. Like he's 10 and three in the UFC, knocked out Sean Strickland with a spinning head kick. So the guy is very qualified. He's a very talented fighter, but he's one of these guys like a Trinaldo, like some of these other guys where his prime is probably passed him by. And the UFC has done a clever job of keeping him out of big fights. You know, like they've just made sure that despite he's a very good fighter, they've kept him out of the limelight. They've kept him out of a lot of the top uh, billing type of spots. And so when I think about how he could win this fight, I think that number one, he's always allowed to win by knockout against virtually anybody. He's a very dangerous striker. Benoit Saint-Denis has proven himself to be extremely tough, extremely durable. And how do we know that? He got the absolute tar beaten out of him for 10 full minutes to the point where Easy Dose was exhausted from beating his ass. He landed like 160 uncontested strikes. And he's looking at the referee like, dude, I'm like hitting a speed bag over here. Can you please get me out of here? Uh, so I definitely think the cardio is the biggest concern. You know, when you look at Zaleski and you look at his age, he's starting to slow down just a little bit, but he's still fast. He's still got decent reactions. So for me, the biggest problem is the fact that he doesn't always uh, have the 15 minutes to go. You know, he can normally spend himself early, but he starts to slow down a little bit. I also pointed out to you that I didn't love the fact that guys like Luigi Vendramini and these other guys are popping out on his back because Renat does seem very strong to me at the weight class. You know, Brian Battle's a big fella, right? Part of the reason I like him so much at 170, and I've been betting him in most of his recent fights, betting him ITD, whatever it is, I've been really liking how he performed despite getting hurt by Renat. Renat hurt him in the early going, took him down, beat him up. And guys, if you've ever been on the wrong end of one of those, uh, I'm talking about just like a bad session, a bad five-minute round, to get back in there and go another five minutes or something, it's just very exhausting. It's very hard. And the recovery that Brian showed in that fight was great. But he also got beat up in that fight. So, you know, Renat kind of did what Easy Dose did to Benoit Saint-Denis, beat that ass, but then he just kept doing it, doing it and doing it. And he took him down over and over. So to your point, Brian Battle threw up some submissions, made it tricky, but Brian just doesn't have that repertoire yet. He's getting better. He's putting in the work all the time, but he's not there yet in terms of the skills. And Renat's a little bit older, a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more sound in his skills. I think Easy Dose can compete with him everywhere, but Renat's going to be a little bit bigger. So again, I always think about how I would line the fight, you know, myself. And I would probably line this fight, you know, minus 200, minus 250, not minus 350, minus 400, where you're getting a plus 300 return on easy dose. That seems too wide to me. So at this point, I do think it's a dogger pass situation. I could see how Renat wins this fight. I mean, I do think he's a talented wrestler. You said one dimensional. I thought his striking looked okay in his last fight. I don't think he's a world-class striker, but I think he's got some power and some attributes. So I think he can compete anywhere this fight is. Like if it's on the feet, I don't think it's a blowout necessarily, but I think who's more likely to win by knockout 
I might even tip that scale ever so slightly to easy dose. He's a fantastic striker uh, in the early going. And if it's not a special forces guy who just says, I will not die, you know, most guys are going down in that uh, Benoit Saint-Denis beating, plain and simple. Benoit Saint-Denis had a lot of experience at 170. So even though he can make 155, he, it's not like he was completely undersized. He just was in there with a guy who's a real talent and a real beast. And this is a guy that they're trying to fast track at 155 pounds. So uh, for me, easy dose, live underdog, uh, dogger pass situation. But I wouldn't be surprised if Renat gets another win here. He's a talented guy, but I just can't support the pricing. Um, I think there's a lot more he's got to prove. Um, yeah, since Zaleski's uh, plus 650 ITD, I'm going to take some of that as well. That's a bit wide. Let's see how it shakes. <laughs> I do think that that, uh, I would tend to agree with you. Next up, we've got Els Brenner taking on Kanin Krushuski. Uh, This is a battle of Brazil, my man. We've got Els Brenner uh, taking on a short notice replacement here. Another contender series alum. He's had a little bit more time than Victor Hugo, but not much. Um, what do you make of this matchup between two Brazilians here? Uh, and how do you rate um, you know, their skill sets? Um, I did a quick look at this new guy. Um, basically, I think he's a jiu-jitsu guy, but he's happy to stand. Um, on Dana White Contender Series, his striking was very, very stiff. Um, kind of reminds me a bit like Petrino, the way he throws, man. Throws these four-fight combinations, um, likes his left hook in there, throws with a lot of power. Um, yeah, he's a decorated um, black belt in jiu-jitsu, um, got all these little red stripes and shit, so um, I don't think he's going to get subbed by Brenner or anything. It's a catch weight, I think. Is it 165 this is at? Did I see that somewhere? Yes, it is. And I think that that favors Krasuski, but continue. Yeah. Uh, I'm not touching it, to be honest. I don't I don't like the uh, the weight um, that they're fighting at. Uh, it's dangerous fighting this guy on short notice um, for Brenner. Um, but obviously, it's in Sao Paulo. He's a Sao Paulo native. Obviously, he wants to fight at home, not let people down. I did have him subbing um, Rebovix before this fight got changed. Um, he's got 10 sub wins, Brenner, in his career. He is a brain belt himself. But yeah, basically in this one, I think that Brenner will likely get a finish late purely because of the, um, you know, the late notice for this new guy. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. Um, but yeah, I think two, three are good looks for Brenner to get a finish just because of his volume. Um, we've seen he's tenacious. We've seen he's violent. We've seen he pushes the pace. He, he's not one of these people who avoids the fight and wants to like skirt on the outside or take you down and lay in your guard or anything like this. So I expect violence, not sure what the lines are. Um, they're probably not out yet for the props. Um, but yeah, I'll go Brennan, man, but it's a dangerous fight for him just because this fr guy throws heavy um, and he's got that jiu-jitsu base, man. Um, he loves to drop the guillotines. I remember that from tape. So uh, Brenner has to watch his uh, P's and Q's, man. Um, this guy is a live dog. But yeah, they're my thoughts, man. I agree with you here. I think that Krasuski, I picked him to win inside the distance. Um, I picked the fight not to go the distance on contender series. I think he's a violent guy. I do think he invites violence in either direction. Um, and he's a stiff striker to your point, but in the good and the bad way, right? Like everything he does, he's throwing a hundred percent, trying to take your head off. Um, he's a very accurate striker. I feel like, um, or I should say he's a very powerful striker, if not accurate. What he sacrifices in accuracy, he makes up for in landing really intentional blows. Um, he's going to be the bigger fighter here as well. So stepping in on short notice, he's going to be taller to your point about reaching for guillotines. That is going to be 
to his advantage. You know, uh, if you can create that leverage, if you can get higher than your opponent, gives you more opportunities. So I do think that this is a tough fight for Alves Brunner and especially a tough fight to put together on short notice. Ribovich kind of presents different problems. You know, he's a little bit smaller, a little bit more compact, uh, probably less likely to introduce grappling. Um, so I, I just think that this is a, a weird fight uh, on short notice. Probably, you know, it, it's not enough plus money for me to get involved right now. I think it's like plus 135 or something. Uh, I would want a little bit more, but Els Renair goes from plus 500, plus 500, you know, minus 150 in the last matchup. I think that threw a lot of people off. He's favored again in this matchup. Uh, but it's Brazil on Brazil crime, you know, and it's Sao Paulo's native son. So, yeah, I'll probably be looking at a dog or pass situation here. Um, I, I regret not betting Els Renair last time out at five to one. I wrote a whole article making a case for him and then just didn't bet it because I'm stupid. But uh, I think that. He's a good fighter, but he's a guy that invites a brawl. You know, even in those last couple of fights, it's not like he didn't take a lot of damage and, you know, get into a war himself. So I think he's a good fighter, but he doesn't seem to me like head and shoulders above his competition. He just seems like a guy who could fight minus 110 with a lot of guys, you know. Uh, but with that being said, let's move to the next one, man, where we've got Ismael Bonfim seeking redemption against Vince from hell, Pichel. Um, I don't remember who kicked us off last time, Rich, do you? Uh, I took her nap, I, I think you did. It was Krasuski. Uh, but in any case, I'll start us off with this one, man. We got Ismail Bonfim, and um, I think he's probably gonna bounce back here. You know, I like Vince, he's a tough guy. Um, you know, he brings a fight, but he's been out of the octagon, um, you know, for a lot of his recent run, hasn't been very active. Um, I haven't loved what I've heard from him in recent interviews, talking about dealing with injuries, talking about dealing with you know, Tony Ferguson's too rough in the training room, and all this stuff. Um, which is probably true, but again, it's just like he was talking about like his neck surgeries and how he doesn't want people prying on his neck and stuff like this. This is a fight, you know, this is a fight business. He's almost 41 years of age. Um, and he's at a weight class where you don't really want to age out. You know, you really want to be one of these younger guys. If you can be not everybody's Jim Miller that can fight the UFC 300. Um, so I do think that this is a tough fight, uh, for Vince. And I think that he's kind of got to win this one. I think he's got some path here. Uh, but I just think it's an uphill battle. You know, you look at how Bonfim was being talked about his last fight. He's the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to absolutely torch Benoit Saint-Denis. He's going to make him look like a bum. Do you remember this, Rich? This was the talk of the town. And I was sitting here saying, I think Benoit Saint-Denis is way too good to be a plus 250 dog. But now we're looking at a fact where it's a minus 435 favorite. And I feel like people aren't talking about Bonfim this week. And they're not really mentioning his name, but I feel like, what happened in that last fight was he got ego checked. You know, he went out there and he was like, Oh, you hit me with a big body shot. Try it again. And then he realized after four of them, he's like, Oh, I can't take another one of these. And then he was like trying to shoot a takedown gets run over to his back and then gets finished. Right. I think that Benoit St. Denis is a hammer. I think he's an absolute problem for a lot of guys. And when you look at how he approaches his fights, he is a hammer in search of a nail. If you are willing uh, to take shots, he will give them to you. Right. Unfortunately, he was too willing to take shots in that fight. Vince Pichel is not the most damaging guy in the world. I think he normally has to grind out a close decision, competitive, make it a real tough fight, grab risk control and stuff like that. That's his path here. But I feel like that's a small percentage path. Um, you know, I do think that Bonfim is the way more live finisher here. His grappling deficiencies, so to speak, I don't think that they exist anymore in the ways that they used to, right? He got submitted by good guys young in his career. In 2014, Adriano Marais, Hanato Moicano. Uh, like, you know, very legit fighters. Nowadays, he got submitted by Benoit Saint-Denis after he got TKO'd. 
Like, let's just call it what it is. He was basically finished on the feet and then he got submitted and it was a mere formality. Is Vince Michelle with no subs going to submit him here? That's what people are telling me. I don't see it. Um, personally, I, I just think that Bonfim is probably going to beat him up and, and finish him at some point uh, with strikes. You know, I think when he is not being forced into grappling matches, he's a very dangerous striker on the feet. And uh, I think that he's going to have much more speed, much more power in this matchup. So give me Bonfim probably by TKO uh, in the first or second round here. What do you think, Rich? Um, yeah, I think this is a think Pachal, um, like a Ricky Glenn 2.0 situation, man. Um, I think too many injuries. Um, you know, I don't want to be too nasty to Vink because he has paid his dues, man. He is a legend um, and put on some great fights. But, you know, I watched his interview too, and he's talking about the hip injuries. You know, he's had some fights that have cancelled. Um, he even got injured again once he recovered from an injury. Um, he's talking a good game in his interview. And I think he's just a tough bastard, man. And, um, you know, he wants to continue fighting. He's still got, you know, the spirit, but I don't think his body's able to keep up, unfortunately. Um, and I think one of the Bonfim fighters, are, sorry, one of the Bonfim brothers are going to win. Um, and I think it's going to be this guy. Um, but you know what? I like submission. Um, submission's like plus 500 on the, on the Bonfim side. I think it could be a situation where Pichel tries to push... Um, push the takedowns and uh you know he gets reversed or you know he might even just tap from a fucking injury man and we get a submission win that that way um i really think um something like that is likely um so yeah i like bonfim to win i think he should roll here it's a safe spot on the card an interesting note when i was doing the research all the losses on pachel's side have come from wrestlers madsen most recently and then gregor gillespie got the submission on him back in the day rustam ally Quinta. Um, so it has been wrestlers that have beat him in the past, but it's like we were saying earlier, there comes a point in a fighter's career when, you know, you can throw out all the old shit because, you know, once they get past a certain age or they have a shitload of injuries, anything could happen, man. So I'll be looking at Bonfim by submission. That interests me at the price, man. Obviously, the KO is going to be fucking something stupid. Plus 110, I imagine. Yeah, you know, I think that's an interesting look. Um, when I bet uh, Bonfim by KO against McKinney, it was plus 250. So if that's the pricing in this fight, then I'll certainly be steering away from it. But just like my gut lean was that he was just going to beat up on Vince Bichelle. But I kind of like that as a sneaky play. Uh, Vince is a tough guy. He's not going to give it up easy, um, but he might just get caught forcing bad positions. I didn't think Bonfim was a bad grappler, but I've bet in the past uh, Abasov by sub against him uh, on Contender Series, and then the fight plays out completely on the feet. So um, it, it's a guy where... His grappling has certainly improved over time. He's made a point of improving it, and we see that with his brother, right? Uh, his subline obviously nerfed into the ground, so um, we could talk about that when we get there. But yeah. next up, oh, sorry, please, man. Uh, yeah, I just to add. You know the problem with Bonfim, what I don't like, which I've seen from tape, and it, and it's a hundred percent true, man. Um, he doesn't lead. He hates to lead. He's a counter striker, a pure counter striker. He won't throw unless you're McKinney and you put your back to the cage and say, "Come fucking TKO me." But if you're Pachel, he's not going to do that. He's, he's going to be game. He is going to try and be competitive. Um, and he's not going to lose his head in there like fucking Terence McKinney did. So it's going to make it interesting, man. We could have like a staring match because um, from what I've seen on tape, Bonfin doesn't like to go first. He's a counter striker. He'll lead with a, uh, a liver shot. He likes that, the body um, liver shot. Um, he likes his left hook as well. Um, but yeah, he's a pure counter striker, man. That's why I'd be wary of playing the KO because if... Uh, 
you know, if Pichel's cautious and he, he doesn't really like uh, engage much, it could just be a staring match for three rounds, man, where Bonfim does a tiny, tiny bit better. Um, so, yeah, I'm wary on the KO for that reason, man. Yeah, maybe the suburb decision. You probably get a decent plus money there on a significant shock favorite. So, interesting look. Yeah. But with that being said, let's move to the next one here where Hadolfo Vieira takes on Armin Petrosian. And I've got something to say on this one, my man. So, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, Vieira. Yeah, I'm on the Vieira side. I was going back and forth. When I first looked at it, I was surprised by the line. Um, at one point, I liked Armin by TKO in round two or three, and I think that's pretty much how everyone's going in this one. They're either on the Vieira side for the submission, obviously, or they're taking um, Armin because they think he's going to you know, negate the takedowns, wear on him because he's got good cardio and get a late finish. And the reason I've gone from for Vieira is um, a bit because of the matchup styles and watching the tape, but also because of the market. Obviously, we're going up to the uh, main card now, and Vieira is a big deal in um, in Brazil. You know, he's got a huge social media following. Um, I do look for that when I'm capping on the main card. Um, notoriously, if you go and look at the statistics, the hometown fighters on the main card notoriously win more often than not, um, rather than on the prelims. Um, but yeah, looking at it stylistically, we seen Armin get controlled by Borello for three rounds. He just wasn't able to get the submission, but he was able to take him down, take the back. And even Robocop had his back for a whole round, had the body triangle on, but wasn't able to get the rear naked choke. Well, that's what Robocop does. I've been there many times, betting him by submission at plus 400, plus 600, and he just doesn't get the sub, and it pisses me off, and I've learned my lesson. Um, but yeah, that is what it is, man. But Vieira, it, there's levels to this. Um, he's a dominant MMA guy as well, and uh, Ali Sneeze boy. Um, it's definitely a juice head. You can't tell me any different. And I just think that's that's going to be the X factor in this one. There's levels. When he's on your back, he's not Robocop. He's sinking in a choke, man. He's too strong. His jiu-jitsu is too good. Um, I think the UFC have tried to find somebody in Armin here for Vieira to showcase his skills um, and, um, yeah, get him a win, man. So, yeah, I'm on Vieira. I like him. Yep, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you here. Um, I think this is a fun fight, good matchup, uh, tough matchup for our guy, Adolfo Vieira, but I think it's also the right matchup. You know, um, The UFC matchmakers, I think they're very intentional with how they put these together, and I think that they want to test Adolfo. They want to you know, progress him in his career, but they also want to give him a fight where he can win. You know, They looked at the Chris Curtis fight. Chris Curtis teed up every takedown. You know, he attempted a lot of them, went out there, pushed the pace. I think people don't ever give him credit for the fact that he went out there and jabbed with Chris Curtis and kept it competitive, striking on the feet for the most part with a guy who just boxes. You know, what was really impressive about that was Chris Curtis's takedown defense and Hadolfo's improvements in the striking, in my view. So Hadolfo has been making clear improvements in the striking fight over fight, I would argue. However, that last fight, he got barnstormed, right? Um, you know, right off the rip. Brundage is out there throwing bungalows at him, trying to take his head off. And I think it caught Hadolfo by surprise. He tried to close him up against the fence. Brundage is a tough guy to take down when he's fresh. You know, you look at the fact that he's a division one college wrestler, I believe, but certainly a college wrestler in the United States trains with pretty decent guys at factory X in round one. Brundage has been a problem for people. It's just that he tends to not have a good fight when it gets extended. Right. You look at that fight. Hadolfo gets dropped badly in open space. 
and he instantly recovers as soon as he hits the ground. And I feel like the old Tadolfo, and this is with love and respect, right? As a jujitsu guy, I feel like the old Tadolfo was going to cover up and just be done there, right? But he didn't do that. He grabs a hold for deep half. He prevents him from landing big shots. He hides his head. He gets on top. He sweeps, gets to a takedown, takes him down. And Rich, I think if there's 20 seconds left, he finishes that fight via TKO. He was beating him up. He was holding a wrist. Boom. Boom. Just switching sides, punching Brundage in the head. And I think Brundage quit at the end of round one. That's my view. And then he came back out for round two. He looked for that guillotine sacrifice style. And Adolfo, you can see the jujitsu instincts if you slow down that footage. Guys, he goes to guard pull. And you see Adolfo step over his leg, float it. So, like, Brundage tries to guard pull. And he literally, like knee cut over the top it's all fucking brilliant the guy has second instincts for jiu-jitsu so when i look at that fact and i look at the fact that everybody wants to tell me hadolfo vera has no cardio and he he simply gasses out anthony fluffy hernandez has fantastic cardio he had jen young park on the verge of cardiac arrest when jen young park finished him okay when you look at the or excuse me uh it went the other way but in any case it's like he is a guy that pushes an insane pace that other guys in the division really struggle to deal with when you look at Hadolfo, he almost submitted him in that fight multiple times, and then he gassed out. No problem there. I think that that was the worst Adolfo's ever looked. But he's looked better in every fight since. And look at that Dustin Stoltzfus fight. It's in round three, Rich. That video I posted this morning, that's a fucking insane back take. Excuse my language, but the guy is holding on from in front of the guy with a seatbelt and just jumps to his back. And like pulls himself in like he's Spider-Man. It's insane. And that's in the third round when he's supposed to be tired, when he's supposed to be exhausted. He he didn't do that once. He did that twice. So he got the takedown. He got the back take. He lost it against a guy who wants to wrestle, who wants to grapple. And he got back there and then finished it. When you look, RoboCop had it as good as done. He had him dead to rights, Rich. How he didn't finish that is beyond me. And I've always said, hats off to Petrosian. He's a tough guy to finish from these positions. But this is the best guy he's ever fought, credentials-wise, on the mat. He's been taken down two or more times in four out of five UFC fights. I don't mean to do a lot of fractions for you guys, but that's to say most of the time, 80% of the time, he's giving up two or more takedowns. Hadolfo Vieira has attempted 20 takedowns before against Chris Curtis. So I think that Hadolfo has the volume on takedown attempts to get this fight to the mat. He has proven that he could get takedowns on many guys. And then let's talk about the specifics. He has the exact takedowns that have taken this guy down over and over. Blast doubles in open space, they take this guy down. Doubles against the fence, they take this guy down. Catching kicks and barreling people over, takes this guy down. It's happened against AJ Dobson, Kane and Kolev, guys you've never heard of. So again, I just think that this is a spot where if you give Adolfo Vieira those same positions, he finishes the fight. And I think that Armin Petrosian is a dangerous guy. And I do think, to your point, rounds two and three, it'll be sweaty if you're Adolfo Vieira on the feet. Adolfo could get knocked out in this fight. There's no doubt about it. But if this fight plays out on the mat, like a lot of these Petrosian fights have been playing out, I think it's going to be a finish for Adolfo Vieira. And notice what I just said there. I did not say a submission. I said a finish. I think a submission is very highly possible, highly likely. But people are sleeping on the fact that Adolfo Vieira can win fights by knockout. He is landing clean jabs on the feet and busting people's faces open. Armin Petrosian has been rocked by Gregory Rodriguez and other guys. I had Gregory Rod, or excuse me, I had Petrosian plus 150 against Gregory Rodriguez. If I had to rescore the fight, Gregory Rodriguez should win that fight. It was very close, but it was a fight where I would probably give it to G Rod. So it's like, this is a guy who's having striking matches with G Rod that are very competitive. And we've seen Gregory Rodriguez get flatlined in the first round. 
on more than one occasion. So it's like, I don't think Armin Petrosian has the most power I've ever seen. Kanan Kolev, in my opinion, wrestled himself into a hole and completely had a cardio death in that fight. But he had taken him down and taken his back in the first 30 seconds. So I'm just thinking to myself, all these times I see him getting taken down freely on tape, I've got to lean towards Adolfo Vieira by finish. And that's that. Next up, Caio Barajo is taking on Abus Magomedov. Fun fight here, Rich. I've done a lot of talking. Why don't you say something? Shit, I don't have a lot to say on this one, to be honest. I like Barello. Um, I see him as a future uh, title contender in the division. The UFC really like him. Dana really likes him. Um, I think this is a setup spot. Um, it's a bit fucking... It's a bit wild to me why this Abbas guy even fucking came to the UFC, to be honest. And then to get a title shot after after one fucking win against Sean Strickland. Um, I didn't know what to make of that main event when they put it together. Um, thankfully, I was on the right side because if I had money in that um, Strickland fight on Abbas, I'd have been disgusted at his performance. You know, he had like four minutes of cardio and then literally you could just see the energy being uh, drained from him, man. Um, and you just knew he was ready to quit. So, yeah, I do like Borello. Um, I like the KO line um, now that I've seen the props are out. Um, I'm not overthinking it too much, uh, to be honest. I even like the ITD at plus money. That was a bit surprising. I'm not going to make any allowances for Abbas as well. Um, people have been talking about maybe he was compromised going into that fight. I don't think so. I think he's just getting on in age. I think he's an ex-juice head from PFL. I went and watched his performances there. Everybody knows that's the performing, um, you know, enhancing league. Uh, everybody's on the juice over there. So I, I just think it's a case where his best days are behind him. Um, he was never anything special anyway. Now he's in the UFC. The level of competition's um, just greater um, and harder, especially at his age now. Like I said, he's getting on a little bit. Um, so, yeah, Borello, I like him by TKO. I like his style. Like we've seen, we've just been talking about the guy. He can mix it up. He can take you down. He's got jiu-jitsu. I really like his striking. Um, it reminds me of Connor. I, I said that earlier on my podcast. Not that I'm comparing to McGregor before people give me shit. But just this, the style, the way he fights, you know, he keeps that left hand um, cocked back. He darts in and out. Um, and everything he's doing is pretty much to set off that left um, that left hand. And I do think he's going to catch him. I do think he's going to flake again, Abbas. Um, and I think he's going to probably get finished early round two. I think he'd be good for a round. Um, but yeah, nothing too profound in this fight, man. You know, I, I'm a big Kyle Barajo fan, Rich. I've made a lot of money betting on this guy. Um, I bet him by KO in the past against Jesse Murray. Um, I just thought that was a little bit of a mismatch. Speed differential was huge in that spot. Um, and I do agree with the chat here. Uh, Abus has mad power early. Kyo Chin is a little bit suspicious. I actually picked Abus Magomedov by KO against Sean Strickland. Uh, and the reason being, Rich, is because I thought... You know, if the fight gets extended, Sean Strickland's probably going to win. But how it was going in round one is kind of how I saw it going. You know, Sean Strickland likes to present himself, walk forward, get into a fight with anybody, right? We saw against Alex Pereira doing exactly that got him knocked out flatly. But doing that against Abus Magomedov, I was like, Abus is going to put a kick right up the middle to his face. And he did. And he landed a bunch of big shots. He was doing everything I thought. But to your point, you just can't fall apart in four minutes in a UFC main event. You know, like... I felt like they were trying to give him the Yuri treatment. That's how I, I framed it like that before the fight. I was like, who else just goes to a UFC main event out of nowhere? Now we see why. Sean Strickland gets the bump. He gets the title fight, all this stuff. 
Now we know that with the uh, benefit of hindsight, right? We didn't know that going in. So in my opinion, I was like, man, Abus, he goes from one quick finish. He's rocketed up the card. Maybe they want to see big things from this guy, but now they know what they've got. They've got a guy that doesn't have great cardio. His chin, in my opinion, is a little bit questionable. Got to just say, I, I felt like he gave up in that last fight too. I just thought he just gave up. Um, when he, it started to go bad, he's covered up against the side of the cage. That for me makes me think the KO is live here. Rich is just like, Kyle Barajo will take the path of least resistance, right? If you're just covering up, he went for the TKO against um, Oleg Sechuk, and then Oleg Sechuk forced him to get the submission. But he was just willing to ground and pound him, right? I think that Oleg Sechuk fought a beautiful fight last time. I think that that is what we saw. Even though he got finished, he fought great. He defended a bunch of takedowns, looked good on the feet. Oleg Sechuk's a handful on the feet. He could box. So he was throwing body shots. He was trying to mix it up with Kyle. He was throwing leg kicks, and he was defending takedowns well. And Kyle still got him. And by the end of that four minutes, right, he was tired, and he got taken down. And when the takedowns started to come, they started to come easier. And then by round two, it was a disaster, right? That's exactly how I expect this will go. Um, I think in the early going, Abus is live. He's a dangerous guy, knockout power. Kyle doesn't have the best defense I've ever seen on the feet, you know, but I do think he's savvy. I think he understands the assignment. And I think against Armin Petrosian, he was like, man, this guy can strike. I'm going to wrestle this guy. I think last time out, he thought I'm going to wrestle this guy. And he had a harder time than he expected. So he didn't waste his gas. He was like, all right, let me get him more tired. Let me lean on him against the fence. Let me punch him in the body a little bit. And then he got his takedowns. I think he's a fighting nerd. I expect to see a smart game plan from him in this one. And I think he's going to get the win and the finish. Um, Kyle Barajo rides again. That's what I think. Um, yeah, I, I felt the same as you, man, in the uh, in the fight against Sean. Why are they giving this guy this kind of treatment? And then I seen he was dominant MMA. He's with Ali Sleaze, and I was like, oh right, they're trying to promote him uh, and give him a push. But I was still hesitant to bet on him, man. And ultimately, I took Sean. But I guess I got lucky. It could have gone the other way. But yeah, I guess in hindsight, that kind of tells us now what was going on in that situation. It was to highlight Sean. And it was to give Ali 20% of a guy in a main event who probably got a little bit of a bag um, for, for taking that fight. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they know what they've got on their hands now with um, this Abbas guy, and they're using him to build up Barella. I agree, man. And shout out to my guy, Nev. He says, Kyle doesn't go for the finish. If he wins here, regardless of outcome, he's going to get a top 10 or a top 5 opportunity. Here's what I will say. If you watch the end of that fight, he had a message for you, Nev. He said... Oh, I thought I don't finish fights. I thought I don't finish nobody. You put some respect on my effing name. That's what I heard. And I think he's going to be saying a lot more of that in Sao Paulo. Uh, so shout out to Kyle Barajo. I hope that he rides one more time for the fighting nerds. But with that being said, let's move to this heavyweight fight that Rich, I don't give a rat's ass about, brother. No disrespect to these guys. Just not two guys I want to be betting on personally. Um, Rodrigo Nascimento. I think he's kind of fraudulent. Uh, I don't think he's a very good fighter. I think he's looked greasy in his last two wins. Um, but shout out to him. He's gotten back on track. Got knocked out by Dawkins. That's the only time I ever bet. Um, a Nascimento money line side was Dawkins at, I think it was like plus 220 or something ridiculous. And he knocked him out instantly. Thanks, Dawkins. Dawkins used to be my money train in the heavyweight division. But in any case, right, Dante Mays, I think people have kind of sold their stock on Dante Mays. Um, broadly speaking, after the Hamdi Abdel Wahab performance, where he just absolutely looked buffoonish uh, in some of his takedown attempts and his tomfoolery. Uh, but then last time out, he gets the win via knockout over Arlovsky. Been a while since we've seen Arlovsky uh, take the long walk down a short pier. So curious what you've got on this one, Rich, because I have no interest in betting this one. 
Yeah, me neither. Let's keep it short, man. Um, I don't mind Nascimento by TKO if you're looking for some good props, you know, based on lines and value. I don't think that's a bad look. Um, I think in rematches, it very rarely goes the same way it did the first time. Obviously, Nascimento won by submission the first time. Um, I didn't mind Mays in the first fight, man. I obviously went and watched it. He was controlling against the fence and he got took down by two body lock takedowns, um, which was just a bit... Um, just a bit shit to see, man. Like you, you've easy, you've got a path to victory there if you're maze, but you just can't trust him, man. Um, on the second body lock takedown, he obviously got submitted. Nascimento ATT, he's going to have good cardio. Um, that's a given in my opinion. But yeah, I got nothing really. I just don't mind Nascimento by TKO. I think he wins. I think all the Brazilians on the main card win, um, apart from Bonfim, which one we're going to get to in a minute. Yeah, Nascimento was shitting his pants against Elan Badeau, so the idea of laying chalk on him is a zero starter for me. Uh, the Tanner Bozer win by split decision, again, did not age well. Bozer's now down to 205 pounds um, and struggled immensely in the heavyweight division, especially with people that are supposed to be takedown threats. Um, and Lear Latifi is, like, retired. Like, or what? <laughs> what is he doing, you know? Um, so not a, not an exemplary win streak. And one of those was overturned to a no contest. So that's more than uh, needed to be said about this contest. We'll move now to the co-main event of the evening where Gabriel Bonfim is taking on Nicholas Dalby and Rich. I brought up my documents here. Um, so I could refer back to this cause I thought it was so interesting and I'm going to tee you up, uh, for what I know is a very bullish take that you have on this fight, uh, that you've been dying to get off your chest. But interesting note here, just to give some color to the people, we've got Gabriel Bonfim 3-0 as a favorite between the Contender Series and the UFC for a 38% ROI versus Nicholas Dalby 4-1-1 as a UFC underdog for an 81% ROI. So two guys that have been delivering. If you've been putting money on these guys when they were in these uh, roles and these positions, they've been making you money. Rich, how are you attacking the board? Uh, yeah, Dalby. Uh, and if anyone's betting uh, Bonfim, I really don't understand it at the price, man. I think it's a bit um, a bit reckless, a bit stupid. Um, I don't think there's any value there. He opened at minus three XX, whatever it might have been. I don't know. Um, but I just think that's wild, man. Obviously, if you did bet him at that, you've got some CLV because I see him sitting at uh, minus 600, something stupid like that, which I think is just insane for what he is. Um, I think there's a lot of recency bias on the two wins that he's got. You know, he's subbing people within a round. But I don't like his process, man. I did a lot of tape on this, a lot of research when I watched his fights. Um, I recommend everybody go on YouTube and watch his fight against Alberth, whoever the fuck that guy is. But Alberth dropped him in round two. And, um, you know, he was ready to quit in there, bump him. He didn't like it. Alberth got on top. He would have done some damage, maybe even finished, but um, the clock was against him and the round ended. Opens up for round three and, um, you know, it was a high-pressure fight, something that Bonfim always brings, and Albert gassed and got TKO'd. But that was the writing on the wall for me. I was like, well, if you could get someone half-decent in that position who isn't Albert, you know, what's going to happen in extended fights against Bonfim? He's going to get fucked. And then we get him now against Dalby, someone who's notoriously durable. Yes, I know he's been finished once by um, the juice. Jesse, the body snatcher, Ronson. Yeah, he got finished by Ronson. People love to tell me that because I overlooked it in, in my breakdown that I've put out on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I don't it like. It was Bonfim. overturned to a no contest in your defense. 
Yeah, I did, I did try and use that excuse. But yeah, he got finished by him. Fair enough. I overlooked that one. But in 31 fights, he's been finished once um, by someone who popped for steroids. So they was on the juice. They even fucking looked like it with his traps, man. His physique was ridiculous. But um, when I go and watch Bonfim against Giles, who's fluctuated between 170, 185, he's a part-time cop. He's got one fight out the door. He was never really in this game. Um, it doesn't impress me. And then he fights Lezess, who we now know is a bit of a bum. You know, he's um, getting body kicked three times in a row by Alves, and then, um, you know, wilts and fucking shells up and gets finished. That was a bit embarrassing. So I don't really rate them wins, man, and it doesn't really tell us much about Bonfim, in my opinion. And it certainly doesn't justify him being at this price um, over them wins. I think he gets nervous in there. If you look at him, when Bruce Buffer's doing his announcements, he's pacing back and forth. As soon as the fight um, you know, starts, he's running over to his opponent. He's in their face. And I think that's because of nervous energy, man. And I don't think that bodes well in a co-main event in Brazil for the first time with your people. You're having to wait you know, for the rest of the card to play out to have your fight. I think the nerves are going to be there again. Um, and I've, I've said he's KO or bust in this position. You know, People want to hate on that and say, how the fuck can he be KO or bust when he's got like 15 submissions on his record? Look at the people he's fighting pre-UFC, man. They're just people like me and Liam. They're fucking nobodies with hardly any MMA experience. Cab drivers in fucking Brazil. Big whoop means fuck all to me. Um, yeah, he got his submissions on Lezez. Lezez is a kickboxer. He caught him uh, and then got a quick submission. Like I said, Gars was never really in it. Um, so, yeah, I'm liking Dalby. Uh, I don't hate a Dalby finish either. If it gets out of round one and Darby doesn't get KO'd, if he doesn't get chin-checked, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what Bonfim's going to look like? Um, I suspect, because of what I've seen in previous fights, uh, that nervous energy, he's going to doubt himself. You know, he expects to get a quick finish here over Darby. So does everybody else. They think there's a huge athletic disparity, which I guess there is. Um, Bonfim is the younger guy, but I'm not putting too much stock into it. I like the fact that Darby is older He's got the more experience. I put a tweet out about this a while ago, talking about um, I think there's too much stock in people automatically thinking that the younger fighter is um, is the A side in fights. Where in my opinion, you've got Angie Hill, you've got um, Dalby with experience, which counts for a hell of a lot, man. Um, so I know Dalby doesn't finish fights, but every fight is different. Every matchup is different. He doesn't look like he's lost a beat. He's on a free fight win streak. Um, you could you can trash his um, competition. It was against Alves, Muslim Salikov, but he was he was underdogs in both of them fights. Um, I know he certainly was against Alves. Um, so yeah, I don't understand why people ain't taking a shot on um, on Darby in this position. Plus four fifty, it's crazy. This is certainly the best fighter that Bonfim has fought in his career. It's his toughest test. Uh, Darby's won twice in Brazil. Um, someone wanted to trash on that as well, saying it didn't matter. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But it tells me that, you know, he's been in enemy territory before. Um, that's not going to overwhelm him. He's not going to get shook because they're in Brazil. Um, so, yeah, what more can I say, man? I, I like Darby in this position. And I'm even going to take ITD at something like plus 1,000. I think it's pretty wild. So, yeah, that's my take, man. I love it. Bold take from our guy, Rich. But I'll tell you guys something. When you look at this on paper, uh, Nicholas Dalby, 
like I said, he's had a fantastic run as an underdog, but let's just talk about his UFC run. He's six, three, one, and one, no contest in the organization four one and one as a underdog. So it's like, he's been the underdog more often than not. And he's way overperformed expectations to your point last time out uh, against Muslim Salikov cashed, uh, you know, as an underdog in that spot. The time before I bet him against Worley Alves uh, for a half unit at plus 110, I thought that that was a good spot. So he's definitely been a guy that has rewarded his uh, underdog backers. But I'll tell you something else, Rich. I've had a bad experience on the other side. I laid the minus 300 with Daniel Rodriguez. I still think Daniel Rodriguez won that fight. But he's just a greasy guy to get a win over when it goes to the cards, right? So Jesse Ronson was that only guy to get the finish. When it hasn't been a finish, he's almost always in a very competitive, close decision that could go either way. And those are the kind of guys that are just difficult to fade at huge chalk prices. Um, so again, it's not like I'm saying, I think Nicholas Dalby is like the second coming, but it's just like, historically speaking, he's justified his price and then some as an underdog. And moreover, he's rarely been a dog of this price. Let me just see if there's an example of him being a dog of this size. I mean, he was plus 250 against uh, D-Rod, and I thought he should have lost, but he came through there. He was plus um, – yeah, that's the biggest underdog he'll ever have been in his UFC career uh, since he was plus 263 against uh, D-Rod. So, yeah, definitely a, a big-time odds move here. And I bet Trevin Giles last time out. So that's the other thing. Maybe I'm just the square of the day, right? That was Trevin Giles' fourth career loss by guillotine. So I just got to wear some egg on my face. But the, the truth is, guys, I know guillotines. I just have seen that Trevin Giles had gotten better over time. Like he's a guy that he had gotten guillotined by Gerald Mearshart and Zach Cummings, two very experienced guys early in his career in fights he was winning in the third round. So it's like a guy that just was falling apart late. To your point, Rich, he used to be a cop and then he stopped being a full-time cop so he could train full-time. And it just, it still hasn't worked, right? It just hasn't all come together for Trevin Giles. I felt bad for him last time out. He had said, like, I'm all in. Like, I quit my job as a cop. I was like, bro, get back on the on the horn. Hey, guys, you know, don't tender that resignation just yet. Um, but for me, I just look at it like a guy like uh, Gabriel Bonfim. I do see him as the guy with more finishing upside. He's certainly more dynamic in the early going. But if this fight plays out over a longer period of time, I think the assholes will be puckered. I do think that's when it's going to get greasy. He's being lined. Like he's a guy that's, you know, very experienced, got a lot of relevant wins. But to your point, some of those fights kind of look just like flash in the pan. Uh, like the Lazez fight doesn't really tell us that much. The Waters fight, I actually thought Waters looked pretty competitive in that fight until it got to the grappling portions and then he almost got his head pulled off. Uh, so I do think the disagreement between me and you is simple. I think that he could win this fight by submission. Right? I think his guillotine fundamentals are fantastic. I think he could submit anybody uh, in the weight class by and large, right? Does Is he going to? No. But can he? Yeah, I think he's dangerous enough to submit anybody. But outside of that, I, I wouldn't put it at like a 50% outcome or whatever like the books are. I think that's that's ridiculous. So um, fun fight, scrappy fight, leaning towards Bonfim to get the win here. Uh, but I definitely think that Dalby represents a live underdog at plus 365. Uh, and the market says he's never been this much of an underdog to anybody in his career. So um, he is getting close to 39 years of age. The last thing I'll note here, I always talk about Fightnomics does say that KO rate flies up uh, after 38 years of age. Uh, but Rich has also made a killing betting on older fighters and, uh, you know, not throwing people out to pasture too soon. So give you the credit there. But last but not who, least, my man. Oh, please. No, go ahead. Who do you think is going to be the party buster on the main card? 
Uh, I think there's a chance that it is uh, Dante Mays beating Nascimento. I think Nascimento's fraudulent, like I mentioned. Um, you know, otherwise, I think that Vince Pichel uh, is probably not going to win. But like among the guys that are like huge chalk prices that don't really match, Bonfim, I think, has been a dog in every fight so far. And he's now minus 435. So a couple of things that stood out to me there. Uh, or excuse me, he was minus 300 in the fight that he lost. So like he's only been favored in a fight where he got brutally finished in the first round. Um, but otherwise, he was a dog the other two fights. Yeah, uh, I was just curious, man. Yeah, mine, mine's obviously fucking um, Gabriel Bonfim. But yeah, I've, I've said enough on that fight. Uh, we'll move on. Perfect. And last but not least, my man, we got the main event of the evening. Jelton Almeida, Derek Lewis. I don't want to give short shrift to Derek Lewis. I think he's an impressive guy. Knockout king, all this stuff. But I just think that this is a really tough matchup for him. You know, Derek historically has been good against anti-grapplers. Uh, or excuse me, he's been good as an anti-grappler. He knocked out Curtis Blades. But Curtis was extremely predictable, nervous on the feet. I thought he was winning the fight easily on the feet, except that he didn't want to, right? He only wanted to wrestle. So Derek just accepted the fact that he was getting hit and waited to throw in a shovel uppercut and then got it. Um, in this fight, you know, I think that the wrestling from Jailton Almeida is more varied than Curtis Blades. People can disagree with me there, but I, I truly believe that. I think if he wants to go to an upper body clinch, he could do that. And I think if he wants to go to the double leg after the front kick to the face, like he normally does, he could do that. I think Derek represents a somewhat live underdog on it. From a money line perspective, this is too wide for me. You know, I'm never betting on heavyweights at minus 500. I just don't do that. But on top of that, I've had a lot of opportunities fading Derek Lewis in recent fights. The one time I bet on him, in his last run um, was against uh, what's his name? Uh, Sergey Spivak, where he did not land a significant strike. Okay. So he dealt with some health problems leading into that one. Want to shout out my guy, Ted. He's always in my comment section, letting me know he was on Derek Lewis against Rogerio de Lima and fair play. I was on the wrong side there, square as hell. Right. But I beat the line by about 20%. I bet it at minus 113. And I have faded him to the tune of like 12 units of profit on the money line with tied to Abasa and Sergey Pavlovich and all these other guys. So I think Derek is a guy who can't take strikes very well on the feet. I think he can give them better than almost anybody in the heavyweight division. So he, he lands very hard, very powerful guy. But I just think on the other side of things, his ground game is not up to par. You know, I think that it works against lower level guys, guys that don't have a sufficient ground game. But I think if he gets extended on the mat here, He's going to get his wrist rode in. He's going to get beat up. And then he's going to give up a bad position and get submitted. Like he did against, uh, what's his name? Um, Spivak, who I think that Jailton Almeida would probably pick up and throw out of the octagon like it was a WWE suplex. So um, that's how I feel about this one, Rich. I think that Derek Lewis, live to win by KO. I think this fight is going to end viciously and violently. I think it's 90 plus percent. It ends inside the distance. But I got Jelton Almeida, and I got Jelton Almeida um, inside the distance in terms of how I see this fight playing out. I think the lines are virtually unbettable, but I'll wait and see what domestics open up and take a look. But just right now, it's a pass for me on the main event and a lean towards Jelton Almeida. How do you feel, Rich? Yeah, exactly the same. Pass on the main event, but lean Almeida. Um, he's a light heavyweight fight, a heavyweight man. He shouldn't be here. Um, he could easily make light heavyweight if he wanted to. I think he's taking advantage of how unathletic these heavyweights are. And he's got, obviously, a skill. Um, there's a skill disparity in the jiu-jitsu, and he's taking full advantage of that. Um, he's had favorable matchups so far. I think this is another one for him. Um, if I'm not wrong, I think Lewis has just signed another contract with the UFC. Um, so did Wood before he took that name off fight. And I, I just think that compromises fighters. You know, they get comfortable. 
Um, so did Jessica Andrade before the Blanchfield fight, and now she's on like a three fight losing streak. Um, yeah, it just makes fighters comfortable, man. I think Derek's going to take the L here, unfortunately, but he is a big personality for the UFC. He does have a big following. You know, he's fun. Like to a tie to a Vasa with the shoeies. You got Derek with his taking his pants off and saying funny shit all the time. So he's a good personality for the UFC. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, he's going to take an L here. I feel. Um, and it's funny, man. You put a tweet out earlier saying what's going to happen with Almeida, um, you know, in the heavyweight division. And I was saying he's going to beat Lewis, and then he's going to fight Gain, and Gain's going to uh, show him what's up. And then we see today he said he's going to call out. Uh, gone after this fight um, so yeah good luck with that um, I think gone beats him if they ever do meet but yeah in this one um, yeah Almeida pick your poison man is it KO is it sub um, depends what the lines are man but I reckon he gets the finish over the five rounds tend to agree the one other thing I'd mention though guys is if you can get a similar price on the end like if you lean towards the KO and you can get a similar price on the ends KO why would you not take that like what I would always look for more equity, especially in a fight like this, um, where Derek Lewis, very capable of winning any fight by knockout. Uh, but you're looking at a money line price. That's very similar to his KO price. So I wouldn't get too cute at that point, but in any case, guys, there you have it. I think it's dogger pass pricing on those top two fights, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to end up forcing a play, uh, if I don't feel it either. So going to do a little bit more research for these fights, but I feel good about this card. I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. I think there's some good betting opportunities sprinkled throughout. And I hope that we put you in a better position uh, to attack the card here today on bets and banter. Rich, go ahead and tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, I'm already ahead, man. Obviously we had a break, so I'm straight on to fucking New York and I've nearly completed that card. Um, so I'm going to give out a bet for that. Um, Jamal Emmers is fighting uh, Dennis Bazooka. Dennis Bazooka is plus 270. He won't be um, after this Brazil's card finish and everyone jumps on it. So go put some money on Dennis Bazooka now um, before you miss the line. But yeah, you can catch me on Twitter. Uh, link in the bio if you want to join the Patreon and catch my bets. Um, but yeah, that's it for me, man. I like where your head's at. But with that being said, guys, thank you all so much for being here. Make sure that you drop a like on this video if you haven't already. Make sure that you get subscribed to the channel if you want to hear more great fight talk each and every week. Probably coming back tomorrow with a post-weigh-in live stream, maybe with a special guest as well. So stay tuned for that. And guys, thank you all for your support. God bless each and every one of you guys. Good luck on all your bets. Until next time, come back next week, and we're having all the same fun again. Thanks, everybody. Take care.